Romans chapter 7 and verse 14. Let's hear uh, the word of God. For we know, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the Lord of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the Lord of sin. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. May God bless to us our reading of his word. Amen. If you're of a certain age, count myself in, in that statement now, I think. Uh, you will remember uh, the TV programme, Keeping Up Appearances. Uh, for those of you who know nothing about Keeping Up Appearances, uh, the central character is an eccentric and snobbish middle-aged, middle-class lady called Hyacinth Bucket, uh, who insists that her name should be pronounced uh, Bouquet. Uh, much of the, the sitcom and the humour in it is following her in her attempts to prove her social superiority as she battles from one thing to her next, normally against her family, uh, to prove and protect her credibility. And we see that in, in life, don't we? Uh, culture where people are cancelled, if they even veer from what is expected by the mob, or in school, where comparisons between people mean that you're forever trying to measure up, or in the office, where you feel like you're competing the whole time, so you pretend to be something that you are not. Sadly, this can also be true in church. Uh, no doubt there are some hyacinth buckets here this evening, trying to keep up appearances with everybody sat around you, spending your time trying to look good, you think, don't you, that people around you don't have issues. So you feel inferior. So you are trying harder. And when 
lots of people in a church can feel like that, culture can then become about performance rather than grace. And we need to look at our own hearts because if we're honest, we can all be like that. I certainly can be. And what happens is that saying and doing the right things is more important than the state of your heart. And that's dangerous for a number of reasons. But here are just four quickly. One, it drives self-righteousness. People begin to feel and act like they are better than everybody else because of what they do. Two, focus becomes on, on changing behavior of everybody, both believers and unbelievers. So people who aren't Christians feel their behavior must change before they become Christian. And Christians are made to feel they need to stop sinning before they return to God. What happens as a result of that is, is that they don't confess their sins to him. They just resolve to, to try harder. Which then thirdly means that sin isn't dealt with. It's hidden. Because people feel they're not able to confess their sin, they don't. And all that results in is either they try and deal with it what, themselves, or they don't deal with it at all both of which are deadly. And fourthly, it takes the glory that Christ deserves for ourselves. Pretending that we are good when we aren't lessens the gospel of its glory. Keeping up appearances is a very dangerous place for a believer to be. So how do you and I ensure that our hearts are not like that? Well, the answer is an obvious one, which if I asked all of you, you'd all know the answer. It's about returning to Christ in his gospel, which says this, doesn't it? That our acceptance before God and in, the, and in the body of Christ is not based on our performance because our performance will never be good enough. Even Paul, the great apostle in chapter seven has admitted, hasn't he? His struggle with sin. Our acceptance is found only in what Jesus Christ has done. He has set you free from the need to perform to gain acceptance. Let's see how, as we look at these four verses together. Firstly, Jesus has freed us from condemnation of sin. Verse 1 in chapter 8 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Paul gets straight to the point. There's no sort of fluffing around it. He gets straight to the point. He's summing up everything that he's written so far in this letter, and he is saying that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. He is saying that if you are here and you are in Christ this evening, you are not guilty. He is saying that there are no charges against you, that God has nothing to punish you for. He doesn't find any fault in you. Paul is saying that you are innocent of any accusation. And as a result, God doesn't condemn you. Now, we live in a world, don't we, where life, life can be brilliant. Life can be as we want it. And we say, to, life is great. Younger you, hashtag blessed, don't you? Put it on social media. Those of you who don't know what that is, don't worry. But that's what we do. But there's, there's a truth, isn't there, that we all know in our hearts that life can change in an instant. The job can be lost. Health can go. A marriage can fall apart. And often we, like, we act like no condemnation is like that. That you are only one sin away from everything 
falling apart. That there somehow will be a new sin variant that is found that can escape your state of no condemnation. It's important then that we understand that Paul is not just saying that you are not condemned. That would be great enough. The emphasis on this word in the Greek falls squarely on the word no. The sentence actually starts with the word no. Why is that important? Because Paul is saying that there is no condemnation. And what he means is that it can't suddenly appear out of the shadows. It's not going to rise out of nowhere. Why not? Because if you are in Christ, condemnation does not exist. If you are in Christ, condemnation from God does not exist. The word no here means never. Think about that for a second. If condemnation from God doesn't exist, it means that no condemnation isn't only true when we stand before him and all of our sins are behind us. It is also true now, right in the middle of our mess. I'm sure for some of you here this evening, that seems unlikely. It's easy, isn't it, for us to think if people here knew what has happened this week, they wouldn't be sitting next to me. And if they would think that, what on earth would God think? After all, he, he knows all of it. He has seen all of the missed opportunities to love him and to love others in the past week. He has seen everything. He is perfect. I know he hates sin. And so you feel guilty and unworthy. So you can hardly believe your eyes when you read here in Romans 8 verse 1 about the reality of your condition now as an ongoing sinner. Yet if you, yes, it is true. And how can we say that that is true this evening? Well, verse 1 tells us it is because you are in Christ. That is the only condition. That is the only condition. It's not about how you've performed this week. It's not about how, how religious you've been. It's not about all of the things that you've done. It's about whether you're in Christ or not. We'll look at why that's important later on. But for now, know this. If you're in Christ, nothing can change that verdict of no condemnation, not even you. Can you dare to believe that this evening? It's written in black and white in the word of God. If you are in Christ, you don't need to fear because you have the guaranteed approval of God because Christ has freed you from condemnation of sin. Secondly, we see that Christ has freed us from the power of sin. We see that in verse 2. For the law of the Spirit has set, the, the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ from the law of death and sin. I'm sure you've seen the signs on a restaurant or on a takeaway that says, under new management, under new management. Basically, all the new, basically what it is is the new owners want to tell everybody that now the old owners have gone, everything is much better than it used to be. And Paul wants us to understand here that if you are in Christ, you are under new management. 
you are under new management. And he contrasts two laws. Now, I don't like getting technical when I'm preaching because I don't think it's helpful often, but it's important that we understand this, right? The word law is tricky in Romans because Paul uses it in three different ways, three different ways throughout the book. He talks about, firstly, he uses law to talk about God's laws, i.e. God's standards. Secondly, he uses the word law to mean a general principle in the same way that we would talk about a law of gravity. And thirdly, Paul uses the word law to mean a force or a power. And he is using it in that third way here. He is saying that before you became a Christian, you were under the authority of sin and it dominated your life. You were under its control and you were unable to change despite you trying your hardest. And as a result, you were facing death. And if you're not a Christian here this evening and you're listening in to what we're, what we're hearing about, this is you. You are under the law of sin and death. You think that you're free. You think that you can make all of these choices. But the reality is, is that you're under the law of sin and death. It produces all the wrong things in your lives and you continue to, to live under it. And if you continue to do so, you will be in big trouble because you are condemned. But for those of us who are in Christ, something has happened. You have been liberated by the Holy Spirit. You are under new management. Sin has been kicked out and the Holy Spirit has taken over. That is great news. That is great news news that not only is there no condemnation but also that god has taken over management of your life so you are no longer controlled by sin and death if you're like me and i think some of you are like me even though you might not like to admit that you're like me that is a great thing isn't it when you know how you fail and how stupid you are god has taken over management of your life. The Holy Spirit has liberated you, so you are not controlled by sin as you once were. You are now, as Paul says in chapter 6, verse 11, dead to sin, but alive in Christ. And just as your status of no condemnation had nothing to do with you, neither were you freed from the power of sin because of your obedience, because of your effort, because of your good works, because of your religion. You are freed only in Christ, by his spirit. You cannot say no to sin in your own strength, but through his spirit, you can. Again, you might be here this evening and thinking, really? Is that really true? You are struggling, but know this this evening, struggling brother and sister, God knows you struggle. He knows it's not easy. That's why he's come to live in you by his spirit. It's amazing, isn't it, that when Jesus had dealt with our condemnation, he didn't just leave us to our own devices. Rather, he lives in us through his spirit who changes our hearts and gives us life. That same spirit who rose Jesus from the grave, that same spirit who commands the dead to life, lives in you. I don't know what sin you're wrestling with, but I know each and one, every one of us will be wrestling with something. But this is wonderfully liberating. However deep your sinful feelings may go, the life that you have in Christ goes deeper still. Your identity has changed. 
You are in him. You are united to him like a branch to a tree. So for the first time in your life, when temptation appears on your doorstep, you can look to Christ and through the power of his spirit, say to sin, I'm not yours anymore. I'm under new management and close the door. Christian, he has not just left you to your own devices, but he has freed you from the power of sin. Thirdly, we see that we are freed only through Jesus. And we see that in verse three. We read there, for God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for our sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Why is there no condemnation? How can you be, how is it possible that you can be free from the power of sin? It is only because of the Lord Jesus. Only because of the Lord Jesus. Now, I don't know if you passed the observation test. Some of you will have done because you're more observant than I am. But you will have noticed the word law again there in, in, in verse 3. And this time it's referring to God's law. And Paul's point is that God's law couldn't set us free because we were incapable of keeping it. So God has done something about it. And in Romans, Paul has shown us, hasn't he, that humanity is fundamentally broken. He shows us that we've rejected God and that we've decided to go after our own pleasures instead. And as a result, our relationship with him is broken. He has told us, hasn't he, that there is nobody who is fundamentally good. There is nobody who is blameless. He has made it clear that we are all guilty, that we all deserve condemnation. We all deserve God's wrath. We all deserve God's punishment. It's game over. And Paul is telling us that the law couldn't fix that. And the law couldn't fix that because the law doesn't give mercy. The law doesn't give grace. The law demands perfection or nothing. And that is something that we were utterly incapable of doing. It's not that the law is bad. You can read the verses before the ones that we read in Romans 7, where Paul deals with that in a bit more detail. The law isn't bad. It's just we were utterly incapable of keeping it. But thankfully, God has done something about it. Notice four things in this verse, right? Firstly, notice that Jesus is God's own son, not just his son. Paul here is emphasizing that Jesus was, was not a man whom God found down the road and adopted to be his son on earth. Paul is reminding us that Jesus is the one who was, who was there forever, and it will exist forever, that he was never created, that he is the divine image of the Father in whom all the fullness of deity dwells. He is God's son in a way that you and I are not. He's always been there. He was not adopted. And Paul's point is that he is infinitely precious to the Father. But secondly, notice that, that Jesus, God's own son, came in the likeness of sinful flesh. Came in the likeness of sinful flesh. What does that mean? Well, we need to say, don't we, that it's not saying that Jesus 
was sinful. What it is saying is that when the Father sent the Son into this world of sin, of misery, and of death, he came as close as it is possible to come to be where you and I are. Yet he was without sin. Jesus is a true man, but he is said to have had the likeness of sinful flesh because his flesh, his humanity, had never and has never been tainted by sin. He was human like us. He struggled with the same things that we did, but he never gave in to those things like we do. It's marvelous. The creation, as we've heard over the past couple of weeks, God made humanity in his image. Here we have the opposite. Because we've marred God's image to a huge extent, God comes not just in our image, but as one of us to sort it out. Thirdly, in this verse, we see that Jesus, God's own son, came in the likeness of sinful flesh to deal with all of our sin. I said earlier, didn't I, that for those in Christ, condemnation doesn't exist. And it is here in verse 3 that we see that. He condemned sin in the flesh. Did, did condemnation just disappear into thin air? Paul's answer is no, it didn't. This roaring flame that was going to consume you was extinguished by God's own son, Jesus Christ. So if you are in Christ, you are no longer condemned because God has already condemned your sin in Jesus Christ. Do you believe that this evening? And that includes every sin you ever have and ever will commit. And when we say that it was condemned, we don't mean condemned in the way that the prime minister might condemn a terrorist attack. It means that sin has received its full sentence and penalty. God's own son became one of us to deal with the consequences of your sin. As Hebrews 2 verse 17 tells us, he had to become a human. He needed to be like us so he could pay the price for us. He was perfect. He fulfilled the law. He did what we couldn't and hit the standard that it requires. He then paid the price for our punishment by dying on the cross. He stood there in the flame of God's wrath until he could proclaim that it is finished. Every single sin. If you are in Christ this evening, Jesus says it is finished. Finished is the victory cry. Finished means that it's done. Finished means that condemnation doesn't exist. And when you think of the week you've had, you think of how you failed it. And yet we can understand that Jesus has dealt with every last drop of condemnation for those sins. The sins that you'll commit, maybe even later this evening or next week. Well, if you're in Christ, he has already dealt with the condemnation for that too. He did not wave a magic wand and just say your sins are forgiven. But through the sacrifice of his own son, Jesus Christ, upon the cross, he says you are free. 
but only through Christ who was condemned, so you are not. Fourthly, in that verse, hopefully you're still with me on this point, Jesus, God's own son, who came to deal, uh, who became one of us to deal, fully deal with our sin, has also restored our relationship with God. Paul says here that all of the righteous requirements of the law are fulfilled in us. So yes, Jesus dealt with our sin, but it's important that we understand that's not where it finished. He also gave us his perfection. And it's important to understand this because it means our relationship with God, if you are in Christ, has completely changed to, if you, to those who aren't in Christ. God is just and holy. He can't bear sin. He can't be in the presence of sin, which causes us a problem because we're all so sinful. Yet if you are in Christ, you have Christ's righteousness by faith. Because he fulfilled all of the law's, requir the law's requirements in your place. He did what you couldn't do. His purpose in sending his son. To deal with our condemnation and demolish the power of the law of sin in our lives through the Spirit. Was so that the righteous requirements of the law would be fulfilled in us. That could never be fulfilled by you and I but it is fulfilled in Christ. He did that. He did what you couldn't do. Jesus, the clean one, was treated as the dirty one, so that you, the dirty one, are now treated as the clean one. So when God looks at you this evening, he, if you are in Christ, he doesn't see your failure. He sees the perfection of Christ. It's wonderful. It means the relationship has been restored. And we find that hard to believe, don't we? Because we know that when we've wronged somebody, even after we've apologized, frankly, it's really awkward, isn't it? What am I going to say to that person? Oh, I hope I don't bump into them on Sunday. Oh, you know, I'm going to feel so embarrassed. Not so with God. He looks at me and sees not my weakness, but Christ's perfection. He sees you always if you were in Christ as his perfect son or daughter. He has not had enough of you. He is not wishing he had never saved you. He is not pointing his finger at you, exasperated that you have failed again. He loves you. He sent his son to die for you. And you are his child. Freed only in Jesus Christ. Please just ask the question, are you in Christ this evening? Are you in Christ? Are you trusting in Christ that he has died in your place? That he, that he did all the things that you couldn't do? It's your faith in him and your relationship with God restored. Because if it's not, you're in a dangerous place this evening. Under condemnation. But if you are in Christ, he sees Christ's perfection in your place. So fourthly, we see that Jesus has freed us to be like himself. Jesus has freed us to be like himself. You'll notice in, in verse 4, we have this statement, don't we, that those who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Jesus has not freed you just 
so you could stay as you were. He has not done that. He has not freed you because you would stay as you are. Ultimately, Jesus came to this earth to make you and I more like him. One day, he's going to finish that, isn't he? When we're in glory with him and we are totally like him. The purpose of his entire life, death and resurrection was to make you and I like him. We no longer walk by the flesh, but by the spirit who works in us, making us more like Christ. You see, Jesus isn't interested in change on the outside. He wants change on the inside, which may well lead to change on the outside. But he wants change on the inside, so he's given us his spirit. You don't need the spirit to live a moral life. But you do need the spirit to lead a supernatural Christ-like life. And that shouldn't surprise us. The spirit doesn't only wake those up to Christ. He doesn't only enable us to say no to the power of sin. He also changes us and makes us more like Christ so that we can see in our own lives the fruit of the Spirit. It's really interesting, isn't it, that here, if you go to Galatians 5 and verse 22 and 23, if you've got your Bibles with you, the Spirit here, he focuses on character, doesn't he? Not, not actions. What are the fruits of the Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That is what living in the Spirit looks like. But please don't think, right, that this is another list to tick off. These are things, these are as the Spirit works in our lives, he changes us and makes us more like the Lord Jesus, because ultimately these things are pointing us to him, aren't they? Jesus is the one who displayed the greatest love by laying down his life for his friends. Jesus is the one who disregarded the shame of the cross with great joy to save us, and will one day joyfully present us before the throne of the Father. Jesus is the Prince of Peace, making peace between us and God. Jesus has unlimited patience that he shows to us each and every day. Jesus is the kindness of God, not treating us as we deserve, but showing us grace and mercy instead. Jesus did the ultimate good, dying in our place for our sins. His gospel is the good news. Jesus is faithful to his Father and to us, he stayed to the plan of redemption until the end. And even now he is faithful to us when we are not faithful to him. Jesus is gentle and lowly in heart, offering to take your burdens from you and to give you ultimate rest. Jesus is the embodiment of self-control. When Peter tried to take things into his own hands, he exercised godly self-control and allowed himself to be arrested and crucified when he could have called down numerous angels to call it all off. Don't you wish you were more like that? I do. Don't you wish you were more 
like him. That's what we're free to be. But we can only do that, as we heard this morning. You can't bless somebody who persecutes you in your own strength. You can only do it through the Spirit. Asking for his help and guidance. So the answer is not to keep, just not the answer is not to have, I know I'm gonna, I'm gonna work on my patience today. If you live with me, that'd be really difficult, but I'm gonna work on my patience today. I'm gonna try really hard to be patient. Tomorrow I'm gonna move on to goodness, and then on Friday I'm gonna move on to kindness. It's not like that. You can only be like that in the power of the Spirit as He works in your life. He is using all things to make you more like your wonderful Savior, the Lord Jesus. You may not, in fact, you are not probably where you would like to be, behaving and doing the things that you want to be doing, as Paul said in Romans 7. But you are very different if you're in Christ to what you once were, because His Spirit is working in you so that the fruit of the Spirit is displayed and that ultimately he will, prov- he will have a perfect people who he will present to God the Father joyfully before the throne. So as we draw to a close this evening, what does this mean for us? What does this mean for us? Four brief, very brief applications, okay? One, we can stop pretending to each other. We can all stop pretending to each other. As we understand grace more and more, we realize, don't we, that our sin is worse and worse. But everybody is the same. This isn't a bunch of people here this evening with everything sorted out. Church, somebody said, should be a hospital for the sinners where we encourage and build each other up. We're all failures and all fall short. We should be able to to be ourselves and admit our failures. And then we can point each other to Christ and we can give him the glory for his great work of salvation and, and, and sanctification. So why not share with you later to somebody you love and trust here, something that you're struggling with? Why not share, confess? Why not speak to somebody? Why not ask for help and prayer together as you you struggle this week? The grace of God means that we can stop pretending. We can stop trying to keep up appearances. But we can also stop keeping up appearances. Secondly, with God, we can return to him. Because no matter how you've been this week, you're a broken failure like everybody else in this room who needs forgiveness. But what we've heard this evening means that when you sin, you can turn to God immediately and confess it. Because if we confess our sins, he is faithful, he is just, and he will forgive us from sins and remove all unrighteousness. He will not turn you away because he has nothing to condemn you for, and that will not change. In fact, if that is you this evening, know that God is waiting on the doorstep. He is looking out for you. And when he sees you in the distance, he comes running towards you to welcome home. You can return to God. And it's important that you do 
Because as we saw earlier, if you don't return to God, sin just grows and grows. Thirdly, you can rest in what Christ has done. Trying harder is not the answer. Because ultimately, you run out of puff and you're back where you started. Instead, rely on what Jesus has done. You see, growing as a Christian is not about adding more of Christ to your life, but rather it is about collapsing into him as your life, because your best will never be good enough. So instead, rest in Jesus's best, which is more than good enough. When Satan tempts you to despair and tells you of the guilt with it, look up and see the Lord Jesus there who made an end of your sin. Fourthly, finally, rely on his spirit. It's time to stop being self-dependent. One of the weaknesses sometimes in our sort of church is we neglect the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We cannot do anything without him. Just as a full cup can't be filled, the spirit doesn't enter where we're operating out of self-dependence. But for those of you who are tired, the weary, the empty, the self-distraught, the broken, the self-despairing, those who are exhausted of trying to earn their keep with God, ask him to come and work in your heart. Ask him to point you to Christ and work in your heart so that you show the work of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, and all the glory will be given to Christ. Amen.